You know, I got to tell you, it's so fun to sit down here and watch your faces as they're singing. <laughs> Usually I'm behind the pulpit and you can't see what I'm doing, I can't see what you're doing. But it's so fun to be seated down here and just watch, I mean, lift your light. It just, your, your faces just light up. It's so much fun. Uh, anybody watch any baseball this week? <laughs> you know, the, the little snafu that we just had in worship here, uh, in terms of the order of worship as we're kind of working out kinks, it reminds me of the story of the coach who was trying to get the second baseman to turn a double play and... Uh, kept hitting the ball to him and he kept flubbing the play and you know he was trying to get him to learn it and finally he got so frustrated the coach said give me your mitt I'll show you how to play this position and then had them hit to the coach and the coach flubbed the play and he threw the mitt down and he said you've screwed this position up so bad I can't even play it <laughs> worship it's not perfect neither are we but we're so glad that you're here. Our text this morning is a text from what's known as the Minor Prophets in the Old Testament. It's a text you don't often hear from. It's only two chapters long. So Haggai, as a prophet, didn't have a lot to say. Um, this was written long ago in a time where people felt demoralized and discouraged about what was happening in their national life. Sound familiar? Maybe it's a good word for today. I invite you to listen for the word of the Lord as it comes to us from the prophet Haggai. In the second year of King Darius, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Is it not in your sight as nothing? Yet now take courage, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Take courage, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the promise that I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit abides among you. Do not fear, for thus says the Lord of hosts. Once again, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasure of all the nations shall come, and I will fill this house with splendor, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious and loving God, we have come here to receive what you alone provide. So speak to us now. Open our ears and open our eyes 
that we may see your coming future. For we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Now I have to confess, I'm not a huge baseball fan. But I watched the seventh game this week, as many of you did. How many of you watched the seventh game of the World Series? Okay. You, you're not alone. Uh, I think it's perhaps the most watched game uh, of baseball history. And a couple of days ago in Chicago, they had the parade celebration, and some five million people showed up. I, I think that's more than live in Chicago. It is one of the most well-attended events of all history in our country, if not the most attended. I mean, it's remarkable what took place this week. The Chicago Cubs won the World Series in extra innings after a rain delay and after waiting 108 years to do it again. The manager, Joe Madden, made a few pitching changes during the game that almost changed the outcome of the game. I see those of you from Chicago uh, who are really <laughs> paying attention to this one. Um, but the real story of the Cubs' comeback didn't start this year, didn't start recently. 2009 was when the new owners took over for the Cubs' organization. And uh, Joe Madden was hired a few years ago, and there was one individual in the stands who was there with his young son that every once in a while the cameras would cut to in a slow part of the game, and he apparently was the engineer of this team. And he went to the organization and said, I have a plan. And that plan led eventually to the Chicago Cubs, the, most, the, the biggest losers in Major League Baseball, <laughs> becoming world champions this year. Now, Haggai had something like that to say centuries ago. I have a plan, or more importantly, the Lord has a plan. Usually, the texts of Haggai are relegated to dedications for houses of worship. What had happened is that in the Babylonian exile, all the God's people had been exiled to a foreign land, and when the Babylonians fell, uh, they were allowed to return to Jerusalem, but everything was in shambles, and things had just ground to a halt. People were demoralized and disillusioned. They'd returned to Jerusalem, but the temple was destroyed, and meager efforts at rebuilding the religious foundation of the people had been attempted, but nobody was putting any effort into it. It just didn't matter to them. They were so demoralized. Like Cubs fans. They'd endured one disappointment after another. People no longer believed it was possible to return to any former glory. People no longer believed in anything. And in the midst of that depression that had enveloped the entire people, 
Haggai says this, be encouraged. No, be encouraged. And then a third time, be encouraged. The Lord is with you. Work. Get back to work. Because you ain't seen nothing yet. This week, not only did I have a chance to watch this great baseball game, which I think is maybe the best game I've ever seen, I also had a chance to go over to USC and jump into history, and I love history. At USC this week, Ron White, Dr. Ron White, who has just written a new book entitled American Ulysses, it's about Ulysses S. Grant, it's on the New York Times bestseller list, just been released this fall. Um, Dr. Ron White was interviewed at USC by the retired four-star general, David Petraeus. You know that David Petraeus was the director of the CIA, commander of U.S. forces in Afghanistan and the International Security Assistance Force, United States General Command. He is a general. After an hour of conversation between the two of them about the stories in this remarkable period of American history in the Civil War, the floor was open for questions. One man who had been listening intensely to the conversation heard a comment made about Grant's drinking. So he asked about General Grant's alcohol usage. And Petraeus commented that at one point when Ulysses S. Grant, as general of forces in the Western Front during the Civil War, was having success, and none of the other generals in the Union Army were having any success, one of Lincoln's staff came to him in an effort to discredit Grant. Lincoln had never met Grant at this point. And he said, Mr. Lincoln, you know that General Grant drinks. And Abraham Lincoln reportedly said, well, find out what he drinks and give it to the rest of my generals. <laughs> General Grant would go on to be in charge of all the Union Army, would uh, negotiate the surrender with General Lee at Appomattox, and would go on to become the 18th President of the United States. There have been plenty of times throughout history when people have felt demoralized and discouraged by the current state of affairs. And this week may be no different for some of us. There are times when this sort of depression settles over people and the future becomes very difficult to see. It's very much in doubt. People no longer believe in the things they used to believe in. They simply scratch out a living and they try and protect those they love and they settle for much less than they should settle for. The foundations shake. And after many years, like Cub fans, we begin 
to accept that our team is always going to lose. And then someone comes along and says, we can rebuild the foundations. We can reestablish the religious life of the people. We can restore the support structures of our society. We can reclaim a way of life that makes a difference for us and for the rest of the world. So stop shuffling along, looking at your shoelaces. Lift your head. Lift your gaze. Get back to work. God isn't finished yet. And neither are you. And you ain't seen nothing yet. Who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory, says the prophet? How does it look to you now? Take courage. Three times he says it because I'm with you. Do not fear. The later splendor in this house will be greater than the former. Work. Now, I'm not a great baseball fan, partly because it always followed ice hockey season. And I played ice hockey, and it was so much more fun than baseball. I mean, it was so much more fast-paced. And given my size, my job was to make sure that people never got to score the goal. Just knock them down. And, you know, I'm not that bright, but when my coach said, just knock them down, I knew what I was supposed to do. So, having played ice hockey as a kid, I was riveted two years ago at another championship when the L.A. Kings won the Stanley Cup. They won it in game five during an overtime, second overtime. And watching that game, I came to appreciate the coach of the L.A. Kings, Daryl Souter. He comes from Canada and Alberta. He is part of a hockey family. He's one of seven boys, several of whom played in the NHL, including Daryl. But what strikes me about this guy as a coach of a team in Los Angeles, the entertainment capital of the world, is that he can get away with being so unpolished and unvarnished in his media presence. He's so minimalist in his responses to the question that the media asks him in between periods in ice hockey. Now, he's probably under contract to respond to at least two questions from the media, so he, he, he wants to get on with the game, but he has to do this. But he's so minimalist that, like, hey, guy, you only get two chapters, so you've got to really listen. You've got to really pay attention. It's like a sideshow during the, the game. So during one of the intermissions during the Stanley Cup finals, Souter was asked something about the game and the outcome of the game, they were still in the middle of the game, and so he responded something like, well, that's, that's entirely confusing outcomes with outputs. We don't focus on outcomes. We focus on outputs. As if to say, you, you can't control the outcome. There are lots of factors that go into the outcome of how things unfold. You can't control all those factors, but you can control how hard you work. You can control 
Apparently, I'm losing control here. Um, you can't always direct the results, but you can direct what you put into it. It's not results that we should focus on, but our effort. And sometimes the outcome is a direct result of our effort. So I liked his simple redirect of the question from the news anchor, and I've come to enjoy his unglamorous and his inarticulate but occasionally substantive responses. Now, I know there are those who think in our country today that faith and religion don't matter. Centuries ago, at the creation of the American dream, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence upon creation of the Constitution provided an analysis that sounds to me like a prophet. John Adams wrote, We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. End quote. Friends, religious and moral people are precisely what the church seeks to rebuild, to reinvent, to reestablish, to redesign, and to restore what God intends. We in the church dare not sit idly by condemning the violence and the superficiality of our time as if Christ has called us to be armchair analysts. We are servants of the Prince of Peace. Our task is maybe greater now than perhaps any other time in our lifetime. In earlier periods of history, people of faith built educational institutions, they built hospitals, they built churches, they cared for the mentally ill, they assisted those on the streets, they sought to provide humane treatment for those who were drug addicted and alcoholic and the dying. And they did it throughout the nation and the world. We're still called. Still called to leave the comfortable for the sake of the valuable, the foundational, the moral, the just. So be encouraged. The Lord is with you. Work. And you ain't seen nothing yet. Now, according to Ron White's book on Ulysses S. Grant, The Battle for Shiloh, Sunday, April 6, 1862, after starting the day with 40,000 troops, Grant had suffered nearly 10,000 casualties one day. Rain began to fall in the early evening, and then it got heavier throughout the night. 
Grant had injured his ankle and was in throbbing pain. And near midnight that night in the rain, Sherman found him awake, standing under a tree with a lantern in one hand and a cigar clenched between his teeth. Sherman wondering if Grant was planning a strategic defeat after that day's losses, commented, Well, Grant, we've had the devil's own day, haven't we? And Grant, after taking a puff on his cigar, replied, Yeah. Lick him tomorrow, though. David Petraeus said this week at USC that was the very story he told his troops in Afghanistan when the going was tough, when they had experienced setbacks. You have to believe that something more is possible by God's design in the future. You have to believe that God is still at work and with us, unfolding His providential plan, and that it is worth our effort and it is worth our sacrifices to rebuild the foundations, to defend what matters. So be encouraged. The Lord is with you. Go out this week and vote. If you haven't already, invest in the life of our religious tradition in this church. Make an estimate of giving. Support what matters. But before we do any of that, we must come to this table. This is the Lord's table. And in God's economy... We always begin by receiving first and then achieving. All who humbly put their trust in Christ are invited and encouraged to come to this table. Let us come and find refreshment for our souls. Amen.